At Urban Farm Podcast, we are all about education, and April is Foliar Feeding Month. Have you heard of it? It is a super simple application of spraying liquid organic fertilizer on your trees and garden plants. The leaves, branches, and trunks are incredible at absorbing nutrients. And if your soil isn't great or your pH is off, foliar feeding is a quick and long-lasting fix to get your plants the nutrients they need. Want to learn more? Join us for our free online webinar on how to apply this amazing process to your gardens and fruit trees. Visit urbanfarm.org to sign up. That's urbanfarm.org. Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 425th episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we work together to educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is building green mulch. We're talking with Katie Fiore about sweet potatoes and fruit trees. Katie is an Arizona native who spent most of her life thinking she has a brown thumb. Five years ago, her first successful attempt at growing food was growing herbs in wine barrels. Since then, she has become an urban farm junkie. In spring of 2018, she planted 15 fruit trees and bushes in her backyard and has started adding a few raised beds to garden in. A career change this past year has given her the time to pursue a healthier, lower-stress life with her new husband, Mark. Follow her dreams of blogging about all of her adventures and nurturing her backyard food forest. After the Great American Seed Up, she is not only growing squash, herbs, and peas from seed, but she is also harvesting seeds and building her personal seed library. Katie is a believer in following what works instead of reinventing the wheel. So when I, that would be me, Greg, said grow sweet potatoes to shade the roots around your trees, she jumped on it and is here today to share about her process and learnings. Welcome to the show today, Katie. Are you ready to rock sweet potatoes? I am. Excellent. So I shared a bit about you. Can you fill in the blanks for us and share more about the path you took to get where you're at today? Absolutely. So I was in retail for about 15 years running stores. And the last couple of those years, I really started to feel like that wasn't what I was meant to do and that there was something bigger out there for me. And that's when I got the idea of the blog. And I really wanted to be able to empower people to travel, to garden, to do the things that they didn't necessarily have a background in doing. And it was great. I finally got the opportunity to uh, pursue that and made the change. And I haven't looked back. Wow. So tell us about your blog. My blog is Adventures to AZ and it's a collection of all of my adventures. So some of those are travel related. I've been to all 50 states except for Alaska. And then I've also been to Mexico, Canada, Wales, the UK, Ireland, um, Italy, France, and Thailand. What? So it does. <laughs> I like getting out there. Um, wow. And I also blog about things that are closer to home because we can't travel all of the time. You know, I might be gone five weeks of the year, but the rest of the time, there's other adventures that you're having at home. Mm-hmm. And that's where being a newlywed, gardening, onto more serious topics like my infertility journey and grief journey and different things that have impacted my life get spoken about. And it's all in the effort to share openly so that other people who can relate or are on those similar journeys or adventures feel empowered to 
go further with them or try something that they haven't done that they've always been wondering about. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you called it an adventure rather than a struggle. It is. <laughs> There's that same feeling of wonder and delight that you can get when you're gardening as you are when you're traveling. And I think there's a lot of times when travel has actually inspired me to garden differently mm. and bring elements from places I've been back to my own house. When I was in Thailand, there was aspects of it that I loved, like with the beaches and the the huge mango trees and some of those things I'm bringing into my pool area. And so I'll take inspiration in different ways from the different places I've gone. And sometimes it's just a matter of discovering a new food that I never knew existed and wondering, okay, well, what is this? Could I use it? And would that grow in Arizona? Right. <laughs> wow. Well, I know that I, I've been to... In the past decade, I've been to Italy for three weeks and I was in Croatia for two weeks and I learned a lot about gardening and how they garden. And one of the one of the striking things that I saw when I was there was that most every yard had a garden. Exactly. And that's something I was not used to in Arizona because you don't see that here. And so it wasn't until I got out of the state and even just went across the country and also my time overseas. And realize that this is something that people do all the time, all over. And it's possible. I might have to do it a little differently because of our climate. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean that it can't be done. Well, that was part of the inspiration for me to call out doing 10,000 urban farms in Phoenix. Because I figured if I was in, you know, Croatia and yard after yard after yard was growing food, you know, I figured we could enroll yard after yard after yard here in Phoenix to grow food, which it sounds like came your way a little bit. (laughs) Count my yard in. I am all about adding green and I would love it if you took a Google map view of the Phoenix area and instead of a bunch of brown and swimming pools, you started to see more green happening. And that's something that we can create really easily. And it would cool the city down quite a bit too, I think. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you said brown and swimming pools. And really one other thing that for those of you that don't live in the Phoenix metropolitan area, which is a desert, we have, and I'm sorry if I I offend anybody, but we have an insane amount of grass lawns that are grown here. And why? (laughs) (laughs) You know? Well, we don't do a lot of things that we could to build our soil. And that's a shame. Yeah, building the soil is probably the single most important thing that we can do in order to be successful at gardening. So what are you doing around that? I do a small amount of composting. I compost what I can, which actually, you know, for just me and my husband doesn't create a lot, but we do do our part because I hate throwing things away and knowing that that could be used in a beneficial manner. Mm -hmm. But I also, I've gone through and I'm a you say six inches of woody mulch, six feet diameter, and I do it. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I got a chip drop and have really like recreated the whole perimeter around my yard so that there is at least a six inch layer of the mulch around. And I'm starting to see that life. I've been using the mace mix with my trees to bring the life into the soil mm-hmm. and really just focusing on giving it the things that it needs so that years down the road, it's better than it is today. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a slow process, just like it is in a forest. Is You know, we mentioned food forest already today. And just like it is in a forest, it's a process that takes time. And that's really what we're doing with the woody mulch is 
you know, letting the, laying the woody mulch down and just over time, letting it do what it does. And I think that's part of why when you said grow sweet potatoes under the trees, it connected with me because I've spent a good amount of time in forests and in forests, you always see those layers. You've got the trees, you've got the pine cones, but you also have the ferns and that ground cover Mm -hmm. that really in this case is represented by the sweet potatoes. And so it made sense once you said it, that, yeah, that's, the environment that I should be building because that's the way that nature gardens. Yeah. I made an interesting realization after living here at the urban farm for the past 29 years, I started paying attention to the soil temperature at ground level. And on August 15th here at the urban farm, I got one of those, uh, you know, those temperature pointers that you point at the ground and it gives you uh, the temperature of the ground and the temperature at soil level was 140 degrees. And one of the things that I noticed was that I had sweet potatoes growing in the front yard as well. So I took that same laser pointer and took the temperature underneath the sweet potatoes and it was 89 degrees. And I realized the amazing impact that was going to have on the roots of trees. And you heard that in one of my classes, right? Exactly. It was one of the live classes I came to when you started sharing that information. Yeah. And so you jumped in. Tell us what you did. Well, I haven't ever grown a sweet potato before. And so I watched a lot of YouTube videos and read a lot of things online. Just like the way I always go about researching a project, I like to get a whole lot of information Mm -hmm. and then lay out my plan of attack. And I know that there's the two ways to grow sweet potatoes. I think that you use more of the ground method. But mm-hmm. I like the jars because I like to be able to see the progress. And it's fascinating to see the plant growing both above and below the soil. And you get a sneak peek into what you usually wouldn't be able to see when it's outside in the ground. Mm-hmm. So I I did a lot of research and then I put together my jars and I got three, well, four different kinds of sweet potatoes. And it's interesting because in the grocery stores, you'll see things labeled as sweet potatoes. You also see yams. And the grocery store yams are still sweet potatoes. A true sweet potato is in Africa and has a tougher skin. Some are toxic unless you cook them. So it's the same thing here in America. And I got a variety. I got garnet, jewel, a white sweet potato, and then a purple sweet potato. And lined them up, put them in the water and started to document their journey and as they grow. And it's been really interesting to see the differences between them as everything's been progressing. And that is? Well, first off, the leaf shape, which I wasn't expecting because I had seen sweet potatoes in your yard at the urban farm. Mm -hmm. So I was familiar with that pointed leaf shape. And some of them are actually growing with more of a teardrop. And they're all growing differently. For most of my research, it was saying, you know, it's going to take two weeks for roots to develop, and then it's going to be three to four weeks for the foliage to start. And they're like kids. I have the two garnet yams are just exploding, and I've already got ones that I need to cut off and root the slips in water. My purple one, same thing. It's been exploding, and it has a ton of roots. The white sweet potatoes have taken a little bit longer, and also the jewel yams have taken a little bit longer to both root and then really get the leaf growth. And one of my white sweet (laughs) sweet potatoes decided it was going to grow everything underwater instead of just the root. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I've got one backwards potato, but it's, I've 
figured, hey, we might as well leave it in there for a while and see what happens. And once I saw that the underwater slip, because the growth that the leaves grow off is called a slip, the slip that was underwater, it started to root itself. And at that point, once it had the roots that were growing in the water, I knew I could break it independent of the sweet potato, even though it wasn't the typical six or seven inches you want it to be before you take them off. So I cut that off and I put it in its own water. And after that, all of a sudden, again, out of the water, another one popped up and has leafed and reached the surface and is now has broken into the air. Hmm. So it's been kind of fun seeing all the differences in the ways that they grow. And even just the, you know, coming down in the morning and noticing, holy cow, how did that one get so big overnight practically? Wow. Now what are you going to do with them? You got them growing in water. What happens next? So the potatoes are growing right now with the slips on top. And after they get to be six or seven inches, I'm cutting the slips off of the top and then rooting them in water. And that plant is what I'm going to be planting around the base of the trees in the springtime. Mm -hmm. I really like the idea of being able to know what sweet potatoes are where and strategically placing them. So I like the sense of, you know, seeing the growth and then putting them exactly where I want them. But I know once they get in the ground, it's up to them and they're probably going to go all over. Oh yeah, they'll, they will. (laughs) Oh yes, they will. Um, You keep calling them slips. What does that mean? That is the vine that comes off the top of the potato Mm -hmm. is the term for it is a slip. And that slip is what you put in the water root and then plant. So in the case of using jars, you're not actually planting the original potato that you bought from the store. Oh, and by the way, when you're buying them from the store, buy organic. That way they're not sprayed with something to prevent them from rooting and from budding out. And you really want to be eating organic ones anyways, because that's a chemical they spray them with. Exactly. Perfect. So we're going to fast forward to the spring. You're going to have a bunch of sweet potatoes ready to plant. What are you going to do with them all? I have, I will have 18 fruit trees at the end of the February pickup. So Mm -hmm. I am just going to distribute them evenly around the base. I think I'll have at least, my goal is to have at least three kind of forming a triangle Mm -hmm. around the base of each tree and have it planted at least a foot away from the trunk. And then you water them the same way you do your trees, which is the beauty of the sweet potatoes is they're on the same watering cycle. That's really important. Yeah, that's really important. And then after that, you know, I'm going to wait until the fall when I can harvest them and have them help my trees throughout the summertime. Yeah. So the things that I've found out about sweet potatoes, and and I kind of stumbled across them, oh man, maybe 20 years ago, I bought some sweet potatoes at the grocery store and they started, you know, putting up these branches sitting on the countertop. You may have seen that before. And I just stuck them out in the yard. And I, I have some sweet potatoes that have been growing nonstop every year for at least 20 years here at the urban farm in the front yard. And what I know about them is they shade the soil. They give us, you can actually eat this, the leaves, but you can also dig up sweet potatoes and eat sweet potatoes, which we do here at the urban farm. But the other thing they do is they help build soil. Can you speak to that? Well, they're not only going through and the roots are helping to create that balance of the air and the water and the life, 
but they're also leaving organic matter in the soil when you're not harvesting all of them, because ultimately you may not find every single potato. And that's adding matter to the soil that's beneficial for your trees too. Amen to that. So this whole gardening thing is kind of an offshoot of you stepping away from something you were doing that you weren't happy with. Can you tell us about that process? Absolutely. I really came into the realization that gardening was something that I enjoyed as I traveled and thought and got more curious about it. And then I started with some of the barrels of herbs in my backyard. And as I built my confidence, I realized not only do I love doing this and love being able to get things out of the backyard and incorporating them into food, and it was making me a more adventurous cook because I would have bunches of sage or something that I didn't normally cook with, but uh-huh. I needed to use. So it helped me branch out in a lot of ways too. But over time, I just, I realized that what I love is educating. I love learning. I love sharing that knowledge. And in retail, there's that, that repetitiveness and you don't really give the benefit to people that I felt like I could be making in other areas. Mm-hmm. So I had in the back of my mind for a long time, something to do with travel, because that was something I was passionate about. And then as I started to realize how much travel has led to my love for gardening, and all of the adventures I've been having with that, it, it all came together. And so it was finally at that point where, you know, Mark and I were settling down and looking at starting a family. And I knew that I needed something that I could do happily for the continuation of my life. And that would be sustainable and beneficial and where I would feel like I was making an impact Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel like I was making much of an impact in retail, you know, in, in the bigger picture of things. Yeah. Was there something that happened that like pushed you into this or was it a slow realization? There was a realization when I got back from my honeymoon in Thailand, the company that I was with started making some changes and they were all things that I didn't necessarily agree with in the benefit of the customer and even the the benefit of the employees and leading. And if I'm leading change and I agree with it, I am all about it. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, if it goes against my values or what I think is the right way to do things, I can get a little stubborn. And so it just it <laughs> felt like this was the time to <laughs> this was the time to take my leave and finally make that jump that I'd been wanting to do for so long. Yeah. How's that worked? I mean from a from an emotional and a, a power center place, how has that worked for you? It has been so freeing. And I have been so much more fulfilled and engaged in everything. It's been challenging. Mm-hmm. You know, it's I, from scratch, had to learn how to build a website, (laughs) go through and create the content, make the connections, Uh build traffic and get myself out there. But it was all stuff that I was excited about and excited to share, which made it energizing. And it's really been amazing to have the flexibility and be able to prioritize things when you want to versus when somebody else tells you you have to. Mm -hmm. And not missing all of the life events that I was missing because I was at work. Oh, yeah. So instead, it's really given me a lot more time to do the things that are fulfilling and in turn, create a vision that I'm passionate about and that I see as sustainable for the future. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, this is an interesting offshoot of the podcast. I'm 
that showed up maybe 200 episodes ago, I started talking with people and I started getting this sense that there was an unrest in their life. And that's what kind of, that's what pushed them into mm-hmm. this new lifestyle, call it the urban farming it, lifestyle or. Exactly. That's exactly what I was feeling. Nice. You know, I've been self-employed since I was 15 and I am a huge, huge proponent of doing what you love. And I wish I figured out what I loved as early as you did. <laughs> I think it it took me a journey because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up with people who grew food in their backyard. Neither did you I. You know, my mom had cactus, uh-huh. but I didn't have a lot of that influence of gardening or traveling. And so it's really something I had to learn as I matured and experienced and then build for myself. Mm-hmm. So it it took me a little bit longer to get there. But now that I see that as my direction, I'm excited to follow it. Yeah. Well, and the truth of the matter is it took me 40 plus years to get there as well. I had from <laughs> from 2000 and no, from 1984 to 2004, I was in technology. You know, I was running technology businesses and, you know, that wasn't urban farming, but I was never far away from the urban farming piece. So. It's just, you know, here's what I tell people all the time. You do the best that you can with the data that you have, and then you change when you have new data. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's the journey, and we're not meant to find those things out or do those things earlier. I think it really comes to you when you're ready yeah. to take it on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you have to learn a few things before you get to that point. <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, what's your website? Adventurista A Z. So A D V E N T U R I S T A A Z dot com. Nice. And uh, so I'm on that. I'm on your blog. It says about me. I've been to 46 of the 50 states. So you're slacking? You're I missing... need to change that actually. Oh, because do you? I went um, <laughs> in the fall, we went back and we did the leaves changing and saw Vermont, New Hampshire, and Maine, which were my three last ones there. And it was beautiful. I would, if you get a chance to go up there and mm-hmm. see the maple leaves changing, it oh. was awesome. So are you at 49 states then? I am. I just have Alaska left. Uh, okay, good. Perfect. So it says, I've been to, all right, I'm going to edit it for you now. It says, I've been to 49 of the 50 states, <laughs> Mexico, Canada, England, Wales, Ireland, Italy, France, and Thailand. Wow. And so your blog is about your adventures there. My adventures there. And then also the the adventures that I have at home when I'm not traveling. Well, cool. This looks like fun, oh man. So there I'm I'm on your page and there's a photograph of some really cool islands, rocks in the background, and you're standing looking at the rocks and your arms are raised in almost neck deep water. Wow, that looks That was cool. in the Pipi Islands in Thailand. Yeah. You right know, off the, of the area where the beach was filmed. Oh wow. Oh, the movie The Beach. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, that's I'm not much of a traveler. In fact, it's it's a lot for me to travel 20 miles from my house for whatever reason. But Thailand, where you went, is one of the places that I really, really want to go. Absolutely. If you can make it happen, yeah. 
it was a little intimidating because it was the, the first Asian country I'd been to. And mm-hmm. most of the European countries, I have a background with a little bit of French. So I was able to navigate the language. But mm-hmm. this was the first time of going into an area where I really only knew hello and thank you. Mm-hmm. And they were so nice. And it was so beautiful there that I would absolutely tell everyone who has a chance. And once you get over there, it's more like Mexico prices. It's relatively inexpensive. Oh, I'm sure. And so the biggest cost is getting over there. And then you can stay in gorgeous places. We stayed in hotels on the beach that were only $100. Wow. And for a beachfront hotel in that kind of environment, you would be paying quadruple that anywhere else. Or more. Yeah. Yeah, It was beautiful. Wow. Cool. Well, thank you so much for sharing about your adventures there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to shift on you and I'd like for you to talk about a time you failed, how you overcame that failure and what you learned from it. I can take this in two ways. My first or my biggest failure in farming was when I first tried to plant apricot trees and I did no research. I saw them at the store. I thought they looked like a good idea. And I planted them a foot away from a blocked wall on a Western exposure. Oh, my gosh. So in the desert. And I planted them in May. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So for for our listeners, a Western exposure in the desert gets sun from noon until sundown. It's the hottest place in your yard. So you didn't have success there? No, it was dead within two weeks. And (laughs) after that, it took me a little bit of time to build my confidence back up. I kind of focused back on some of the the plants I knew I could grow and added it in smaller things and got success. And then before I attempted it again, I went through a lot of the urban farm programs and got the knowledge and immediately realized, oh, that's why it didn't work the first time. Mm -hmm. And after I went through your programs, I actually was so confident off the bat, bought 15 fruit trees and planted them all and they're all thriving. Oh, great. We need to have you write a story about that process for our blog. I have one on my blog that I could share with you. Oh, that'd be good. Perfect. Let's do that and we'll put them on the show notes page. Okay. My other biggest failure was is probably staying in retail longer than I should have, even though I knew that that's not where my end game was. Mm-hmm. So the rest of the things, the successes or failures that I had at work, because that's not where I see myself down the road, they've all just kind of blended away now that I've left it. <laughs> Isn't that nice? <laughs> it's funny how that happens. When you when you leave something behind that is meant to be gone, it just kind of fades away. And when you change something that's meant to be the way that it is, it's like it's always been that way. Isn't that funny? Like I planted the trees and I can barely remember what my backyard looks like without them. Wow. So what do you consider your biggest success? I think that my biggest success really is finding my direction because that's something that's not easy for a lot of people. You go out into the world and you're young and shiny and 18 and you don't know what you're going to do, but you're going to do great things. And then you flounder a little bit in a lot of cases. Mm -hmm. And it took me some time, but I finally found my direction and taking the leap of faith and following the dream and being able to share the things that I love and the knowledge I'm gaining and the learning that I'm going through is where I picture myself. And so I feel like I'm living the success that I'm imagining. Nice. So what drives you? I love learning. 
Like, I love that discovery process. And I think that's why I geeked out over the sweet potatoes uh-huh. because it has been so fun to see things change and have those moments of excitement. It's like when you go out into your backyard and for the first time you see a zucchini growing on the plant, mm-hmm. you know, or the very first pepper you get on a plant where you suddenly have that like, ooh, cool feeling. So I love that learning and I love sharing it. And what really, I, I enjoy teaching and empowering people because all of this stuff, the gardening, the travel, that's stuff I never knew that I could do or would do or how I would go about getting there. So I think that really my drive is to create that learning for myself and it's always going forward. You know, I'm never moving back. It's like I learned something and great. What can I build on with that? Mm-hmm. So, and then it's sharing it along the way so that that same journey isn't as scary or unknown for other people and they're more comfortable in doing it. Right. Since I already put in a bunch of the work. Exactly. Well, <laughs> you know, that's for me, that's what it means to be a lifelong learner. You know, I continue to learn and part of how I learn more is I teach it you get those questions and it pushes you in different ways and makes you go a little deeper mm-hmm. in a lot of cases. And I'm sure I've asked you tons of questions in all the classes and workshops, but that's just because I always want to know more in the whys and you know exactly what's going on. Yeah. So if you could recommend one book for our listeners, what would it be and why? This one might come a little bit out of left field, but it's actually the five love languages. Mm-hmm. And the reason for that is because that's the book that I have referenced the most with friends in conversation, but it's also been the book that's taught me the most about my motivation and how I give to others. So there's the five love languages, words of affirmation, physical touch, quality time, gift giving, and acts of service. And it was interesting because in understanding that I look for the words of affirmation I like the physical touch and the quality time, but I show it through gift giving, was able to really help understand what I even needed, not just from a partner, but for fulfilling work. And it's funny how gardening fits into that because I have the physical touch with the plants. Uh They give me the affirmation when they grow stuff. (laughs) Oh yeah, no kidding. It's like they can't say it, but they're showing you like Mm -hmm. it's working. (laughs) Right. And then I'm able to give that gift of what I've created either like through food with the plants or through the the fruit itself. I think that's why gardening resonates with me so much mm-hmm. because it hits on a lot of my love languages. Oh, wow. No kidding. You know, I read that book years ago and that makes a lot of sense. Never thought about it that way. It's been eye-opening to understand myself and, and what I need. Yeah. In addition, I mean... It's meant for understanding what your partner needs too, but it's given me a lot of, of self-reflection and, and a lot of knowledge that I probably wouldn't have tuned into had I not read it. And what one final piece of advice do you have for our listeners? Get a lot of education, have a solid plan, you know, use your great resources, mm-hmm. but also don't be afraid to start. I hear so many people saying, you know, someday I wish I had a garden or I wish I could travel. And the reality is don't wait, figure out how to do those things now, because now is when you're physically better to do them. It's harder to start like digging holes for fruit trees later in life than it is now. And you're going to miss out (laughs) on all of those benefits (laughs) and all of the fruit you could be getting in between. 
Yeah. And even travel. I see with my parents where they waited to retire and now they're traveling, but they can't do some of the stuff that I can do on vacation because they waited and physically it's just not a possibility for yeah. them. So don't wait and figure out a way to make it happen. If it's something that's important to you, figure out your way to get there instead of pushing it off for the future. Because when the future comes, you won't be able to enjoy it the same way that you would now. And you won't be able to enjoy it for that long. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Katie, and sharing your amazing, fun, happy wisdom. (laughs) Thanks for having me. You bet. So how can our listeners get a hold of you? You can always visit me on the blog. So adventuristaaz.com. You can also email me at Katie, K-A-T-I-E, at adventuristaaz.com. That's A-D-V-E-N-T-U-R-I-S-T-A-A-Z.com. And you can also find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Pinterest under adventuristaaz. Oh, beautiful. Good job on that. (laughs) You can also find show notes from today's podcast at urbanfarm.org forward slash sweet potatoes we are your urban farming resource you can find our podcast on itunes google play stitcher iHeartRadio, and every place where podcasts are served also visit urbanfarm.org to find articles webinars courses and more well that's it for today thanks for joining us on the urban farm podcast we hope you enjoyed today's episode of the urban farm podcast Remember to listen for tips, advice, and resources to help you on your journey with urban farming. You can find us on the web at urbanfarm.org or send us an email to podcast at urbanfarm.org. In the words of Vincent Van Gogh, great things are done by a series of small things brought together. Be encouraged that with each lesson learned and skill developed, you are one step closer in the direction of your dreams. One of the first things that many of us learn when we start to garden is how to water and fertilize the soil. But there is an exception to this rule and it's called foliar feeding. You should foliar feed or water the leaves of your plant with liquid fertilizer when you want certain nutrients to be absorbed better. Not only are the leaves great at uptaking liquid fertilizer, if your soil isn't very good or your pH is off, foliar feeding can help your veggies and fruit trees quickly get the nutrients they need to thrive. If you're ready to start foliar feeding for maximum growth yields and quality, head on over to urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves to see our selection of foliar feeding products. That's urbanfarm.org forward slash feed the leaves.